Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome back to Talking Points. This is your host, Brian Kelly, The Points Guy. And on today's episode, I'm sitting down with one of the coolest chief marketing officers in the world, Kristen Lemkaw to talk about all things J.P. Morgan Chase. Lemkaw touches on the marketing and evolution of the popular Sapphire credit cards and the launch of the new Sapphire banking product. At the end of this episode, I'll be sitting down with Sarah Silbert, TPG's senior credit cards editor, to see how she maximizes her Chase Ultimate Rewards points and shares tips for all of you to do the same. This episode may feature offers that are subject to change and are offered by our advertising partners. ThePointsGuy.com is a free website, so we do advertise in order to generate revenue. For a full listing of our advertising policy, go to ThePointsGuy.com slash advertising. Kristen Lemkoth, your products have enriched TPG readers with points so they can travel the world. So thanks for sitting down with us today and thanks for coming. talking all about credit cards and loyalty. So you've been with Chase for over 20 years now. Yes, indeed. So Hard to believe. Do, do you want to talk about your experience and rise to chief marketing officer? Sure. I mean, it, I, I think it was a journey of a lot of hard work and a lot of people who believed in me maybe even before I did and then a few happy accidents along the way. So I started as a PR person in the investment bank going back to 1998 and I took the job simply because I wanted to be able to walk to work. So if you told me then that I would be in this role today and this role would even exist and the company would look like it does today, I would have never believed it. Uh, I'm reading Beth Comstock's book and one of the pieces of advice that she gives that I think I had adhered to in my career is to take the job that no one else wants. Uh, instead of fighting for turf yeah. or in fighting, just take the thing that no one else wants and run run to work. And so I think that was a pattern for me. And then I just ended up doing well at whatever I did. And the, did. the travel bug had bit you before working here, right? Right. Because you were, you've been stationed all around the world. I with was. Your position. I, yeah, only in New York here. But in previous jobs, yeah. I lived in the Indonesian half of New Guinea for six months where I was traveling to villages where they still filed their teeth down to a point. You don't want to ask yeah. why. I lived in Jakarta for a year. I oh, lived wow. in Madrid for a year. So it was really exciting. I love to travel. I still travel a lot with my family. And your role here is global. So how often are you actually on the road traveling? Yeah, I try to manage it. Yeah. Um, it's probably international trips once or twice a year. I'm about to go to China oh, wow. for a week, which I'm super excited about to see some payments companies because, as you know, the future of payments is yeah. so accelerated over there and see what we can learn. So specifically when it comes to credit cards, how do you describe credit card marketing over the last 10 years and how yeah. it's changed? It has changed fundamentally. I mean, I say to my team all the time, payments and uh, banking are getting disrupted at a pace like we've never seen, like most industries. But marketing and the craft of marketing is getting disrupted even faster. This is the era of the consumer. The consumer is incredibly smart. They do their research. This is an era of search, an era of navigation. You've got to have a rock solid value proposition and product. And it's more important to spend your dollars there 
than it is on a big mass marketing campaign where you're not going to fool anyone if yeah. your product isn't awesome. And you influencers like you have been a big part of that. So let's talk about Sapphire because, you know, arguably Chase was behind Amex and when it came to proprietary sure. um, cards. What? So you've been along for the whole Sapphire journey, right? Mm -hmm. So what was the initial strategy with launching the Sapphire product and how have you seen that evolve over the years? Yeah, there's a great Harvard Business Review study on Sapphire. If you're like a wonky marketer, you'll really enjoy it. You have to go back to 09, which by the way was not a great time to launch yeah. a credit card. <laughs> so in August of 09, Eileen Sarah, the former president of the card business and Gordon Smith, my boss, really saw some white space in the market where millennials and, and younger people didn't have an affinity or real loyalty for any card out there. So the original no fee card launched where you could go direct to advisor. There was a great points offering and then there was the 1.25% accelerator mm -hmm. on air, airline travel and packaging mattered. The card itself was gorgeous. Yeah. There was no number on the front. The number was on the back. Was there blowback at first? Like A little bit. I remember actually when we called it the preferred. other front. Because people would say, I'm in rural Indonesia and my taxi driver needs to do an etching. Yeah. And I remember then you guys came out with the etching above on the back. So we you did. could actually do that. You could. You could. But it really caught on and we saw that there was some insight that people felt like there wasn't a card out there for them. Well, clearly caught on because everyone else is doing it, it now. We had 90% OSAT rates. We had 85% of people say they would refer a friend for that card. So it, we really tapped into something. It's kind of crazy. Preferred is still a huge. Some people it's thought that card. Reserve was going to come in and completely cut that business. Has that been the case? No. I mean, it's segmented really well. People choose which one is right for them. They're different value propositions. They're different price points. And people find the card that works well for them. I think one of the things that we've learned with the Sapphire brand, and I think the millennial audience in general, for all of the research that's been done about them, what they really want is value. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly smart. And influencers, again, help that value proposition. So when preferred, sorry, when Reserve came out at a $450 fee, they immediately did the math and said, well, wait a minute, there's a $300 travel credit, yeah. there's a $95 fee for preferred. If I do the yeah, math, we did the this math. is like, really great. If you great. spend $8 a day in travel yeah. or dining, you're, you're making it up. Check. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's still a huge portion of people that fundamentally don't want to have a $450 annual fee, right. no matter what, right? So that's great. what. Yeah. We have a card for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was an exciting time. So Chase, you guys chose the Points Guy to launch Reserve as a Correct. strategic partner. It was a wild summer behind the scenes working on our strategy and yep. social media and to see it launch that first day. I mean, it took my business, it's kind of funny over the years, in, you know, in 2011, Chase allowed me to start the Points Guy full time and grow it to where we are today. And then Sapphire really took it to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, so what was it like for you as CMO at the time to see it the excitement build up and then the actual acquisitions go through the roof upon you know the first day we launched. It was awesome. I mean, we blew through our annual estimates of how many cards would be acquired within two weeks. And back to the point of the marketing playbook changing, this was the first time we saw it really, really play out, which was we put most of the marketing in the product benefit. The value proposition spoke for itself, 100,000 points, three times on travel and dining, $300 travel credit, you know mm -hmm. all this. Yeah. And it just caught on. We dropped it in the market, sort of Beyonce lemonade style. <laughs> like, didn't really make a big formal announcement. Yeah. Didn't do the traditional product launch. Did people internally think you were media. crazy by not doing that traditional launch with the billboards and TV and a, a little bit, but remember, it leaked. Yeah. So we said, well, let's just get it out there yeah. and see what happens. And all of a sudden, it just took off. And you had the unboxing videos, yeah. and you had 
had the, uh, you know, just sort of craze over the whole product. We did do a campaign later on, as you know, with James Corden, but this was like three or four months into yeah. the campaign, and it was still kind of digital and niche. It yeah. wasn't a big TV blowout, and it worked. The consumer found it on their own. The consumers are really yeah. smart. <laughs> so my readers will kill me if I don't ask you. People ask me all the time. Is a 100,000 point sign-up bonus on the reserve, or preferred, do you ever see relaunching that into the marketplace? For card only, probably not. That was a launch thing. But if you sign up for a reserve or a preferred card today, if you don't have one, you get the 50,000 points mm -hmm. benefit. And then if you bring 75,000 in deposits and investments for Sapphire Banking, that's a 60,000 points benefit. So if you stack them, you have 110,000 points. So technically for the two products together, it's even better yeah, than 100,000 100, points. points. And, and the only way to get it is in branch? No, you can get it online as well. Oh, you well. can get it online now. Mm -hmm. So talk about Sapphire Banking. You know, when you created this product, like who is it for? Sure. What do you think the most unique thing about it is? So we learned so much from the Sapphire cards, as you know. We learned that millennials want value, they want experiences, uh, and they want quality. And if you look at that, the behavior we're really trying to drive is top of wallet and primary bank. Primary bank relationship is the stickiest, it's the foundation of a financial relationship. But yet, no one knows the name of their checking account. Mm -hmm. No one has any loyalty to their checking account. They may have loyalty to their bank, but not their product, which doesn't make a lot of sense when you see how loyal people are to their credit card. So we thought, why don't we take the same insights and benefits that drove the Sapphire card and launch a banking product. So value, no ATM fees. We know that's the number one thing that's that so ticks annoying. off customers. Even though there's a whole ATM yeah. network that you've invested in and logically you could explain it, people don't want to have to pay to get to their money. Especially no when traveling abroad. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, on, on your ATMs or yeah. anyone else's. Um, no foreign transaction fees, no wire transfer fees, basically no fees on everyday banking at large. We want free commission-based trading with the U-Invest Trade product, which didn't exist a few years ago, we just launched that product, so you can sign up and you can trade for free on your phone. Oh wow. Which is great. And then you can get experiences. Nobody gets experiences with their bank account unless you're a CPC yeah. customer. I know with the US Open, when I went into branch, they were like, oh, Mr. Kelly, do you want US Open advanced tickets? And right. Then, right. Yeah. So what but other, for where, banking, do, yeah, where do you? People don't typically get that. And yeah. we've seen with either a Chase Lounge or a Sapphire Lounge, that's really catching on. People mm -hmm. want a place to go. They don't want to have to wait in line. They want a refuge, and so how can we so scale that? So even Sapphire banking, well actually you have to have a card to get banking. So any Correct. Sapphire card holder gets free access to Chase lounges. They get free access to Chase lounges, and increasingly we're having Sapphire lounges. We know customers love the airport lounge, and we yeah. have access to Priority Pass, and that's great. We want to be the go-to lounge when you get off the plane. So there's the no, there's no future of a Chase lounge in the airport, but what you're saying is you want to create these experiences outside. Correct. And it's an excellent product. Yeah. It's finally a banking product that works harder for you and has some of the things in it that people know, we know people love, like no ATM fees, no everyday banking fees, and free commission-based trading. And in fact, taking a page from Reserve and Preferred, where we had that gorgeous <laughs> credit card that was made of so metal, the this is the debit card. It is the best-looking debit card in the history of debit cards. It has the same facets as the Sapphire card, and that's what you get. Look at that, folks. We had one made for you. In terms of new cards, we've seen a big um, push into the tweener category, right? Between the $150 and $300 range, the new Southwest card. 
um, and Amex Gold just bumped to 250. Do you foresee a Sapphire product between Preferred and Reserve? Yeah, that Southwest card is a great card if you fly Southwest. We always look at it and we always see if there's a gap in the market that we can fill. We feel like we've got two really strong cards that are performing very, very well with Preferred and with Reserve. And now with Sapphire Banking really taking off, we think that's a very good mix, but we're always looking at it. So, you know, we talk about millennials and sapphires are clearly a hit with millennials. What do you think about Gen Z and looking forward the next five years in credit card marketing and how yeah. you think about that? You know, it's interesting with the millennials, so much has been written about them and they're sleeping on couches in their parents' basement. The oldest millennial is starting to turn 40. So we're seeing this transition from the, I want experiences over stuff, I want to live an interesting life, to I just don't want to live a boring life yeah. now that I'm getting married and having kids, but I need to figure out how to accumulate houses and investment accounts more responsibly. Mm -hmm. The Gen Z thing is interesting. They do seem to have a lot of the same trends of millennials. I have two of them in my house. It will be interesting to see how their financial behavior adopts. Everything I believe is going to be done in the phone. Mm -hmm. My kids don't know how to turn on the TV. Yeah. I can't imagine they're going to want to pay for things that's not yeah. either on the phone or contactless or something, but I think we're really just learning. Has, have you guys been, I know my nieces and nephews all are just glued to YouTube. And yeah. Are you shifting and the your advertising stuff. funds into video a lot you know, more? Or? Well, I think the trend for marketers is how do you become your own media company and hmm. your own content company? Because any advertising supported model is under threat. And as I said, my kids still don't know how to turn on the TV. If you go into digital, however, you have bad ad units. Yeah. You've got pre-roll, you've got mid-roll, you have things that even if the numbers say they work, you know the consumer hates. Yeah. How do you come up with content that goes direct to the consumer? How do you become much more of an e-commerce company when distribution has been democratized? Because just supporting somebody else's content with an experience the consumer doesn't like, I don't think is sustainable. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And you, um, safe travels. And you have to at least know how Bora Bora went. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I think I used Chase Points. Now, let's sit down with Sarah Silbert, editor of Credit Cards at The Points Guy. Sarah, thanks for sitting down with me today to talk all things Chase. Hello. Thank you for having me, Brian. You know, today I really want to take a deep dive. You know, Chase has a lot of co-brand cards, but I want to talk about ultimate rewards, right? Yes. Uh, so what do we value ultimate rewards at The Points Guy? Currently, they're at $0.02 cents per point. They've been as, as far as $0.2, .2 cents per point, but currently with the loss of Korean Air, that definitely was a ding. Um, but still, $0.02 cents per Two cents per point is pretty high. Yeah, I mean, and that beats, is that on par with Amex? Amex actually just went up to two cents per point because they added Avianca, but Got it was 1.9 up until this month. City's down at uh, 1.7. A little bit of And a now we've got Capital One in the mix, too. There's four major transferable yes. points credit card uh, proprietary points programs. So Chase is at the top of that. Now, let's just talk about what credit cards earn ultimate rewards points. Right. So you have the Sapphire cards, the preferred and the reserve. Um, those are the two personal cards that earn rewards points on their own. With the Freedom and the Freedom Unlimited, those are technically cashback cards. But if you also have a preferred or reserve, you can transfer the points over. And then you technically have rewards points that you can transfer over to Chase Partners. Got it. So, you know, on the Sapphire Reserve, you're earning three points per dollar on travel and dining. 
and one on everything else. So the, the trick is to get the Freedom Unlimited, which is a no annual fee card, but that gives 1.5 points on everything. Right. I use that for all my everyday spend. Anything that you're not going to earn bonus points on, like travel, dining, use that. Like anytime I go to a bodega that will not code as grocery, no matter what card I use, it's like, okay. And then, so in your Chase account, they those pool under Freedom. But if you you can combine instantly within your Chase accounts, so that you can kind of upgrade those Freedom points into your Sapphire account and then transfer outwards. So it's a little bit of a workaround, but pretty easy and instantaneous, right? It's pretty easy. You just have to really do. It's like probably three clicks total. And then on the business card side, which cards earn you are? So there's the Ink Business Preferred. We love that card. Great eighty thousand point bonus. there's that. There's the Ink Cash, which is a similar situation to the Freedom and the Freedom Unlimited, where it's technically just cash back. But if you have an Ultimate Rewards earning card, you can transfer those points over. Um, yeah, those business, those Ink cards as well. Cool. And so, you know, when you redeem through Chase Travel, and I know on the Sapphire Preferred, you're going to get 1.25 cents towards travel, and the Sapphire Reserve is 1.5 cents. I know people always come up to and say, well, how do you value them at two cents apiece? What, why do we value them higher? That's because when you tra- actually transfer as opposed to going directly through Chase, you can get so much more than just two cents, especially for, I mean, unfortunately, Korean Air isn't a partner anymore. That used to be our go-to example for getting amazing outsized value, like seven cents yep. um, per point. I've um, done that on a number of occasions flying home from Bali and in Korean first. Yeah. They had so much availability. Yeah, exactly. But um, even with partners like Hyatt, where if you're booking a Category 7 property that's, you know, 30,000 points per night, but, you know, maybe close to $1,000. So let's just go through each of the transfer partners. But what, what I'd like you to do is put them into three categories, the very best, the mediocre ones, and the ones that you don't recommend people transferring to. So let's start with the best. Okay. Very high level. Um, the best I would list is British Airways, Hyatt, Singapore, Virgin Atlantic, Southwest, and United. And then average? Average, kind of like in the middle, not great, not horrible, Iberia. Um, Marriott, which is, you know, combined with Starwood now. And then worst, we have Flying Blue, Aer Lingus, JetBlue, and IHG. So let's talk about the good ones. So, you know, I transfer my Chase Points to to United. So they only, Chase Point, you know, United, you can only transfer Chase Points. You used to be able to transfer Amex years ago to Continental, but now uh, United has teamed up with Chase. So what are some of the coolest reasons why people should transfer to United? Well, United's great because they have the, an ex, the excursionist perk, which basically you're getting a free segment where if you depart from one region and you come back from another, you can get um, a free segment in another region. So we're talking like 30,000 miles for a trip that has you seen at least four cities. So the excursionist perk is a little complicated. It's a little complicated. We've got our post on it, but you can extract uh, great value even flying an economy. Everyone always thinks, oh, because... Uh, you know, you're uh, flying in first class all the time. That's why points matter. But that's not the case. A lot of these, like British Airways, you can get great value out of economy redemptions, right? Yeah, especially if you want to fly to Hawaii. Um, British Airways, probably their worst redemption is actually with British Airways to London because of those insane fuel surcharges. But if you're using them to fly from the U.S., to Hawaii, for example, from the West Coast, you're looking at 25,000 miles round trip, which is a steal. Um, Also, you can use them to fly to Aer Lingus for about 26,000 miles round trip. Um, So some great, you know, lesser known benefits of redeeming with them. And the trick with British Airways, it's all based on distance. So finding those bands that maximize your points 
um, and not redeeming on flights that are really cheap to buy. Now, Hyatt is also one of the top transfer partners because you can't transfer any other currency to Hyatt. Right. Um, I know I stayed at the Park Hyatt Maldives, and it was 25,000 points a night for Villa over the Christmas holiday that was going for over 1,000. So that right there was about $0.04 cents in value. Um, are there any other really juicy Hyatt redemptions that we love here at TPG? Well, I'll share my most recent redemption. I went to the um, Hyatt Zalara in Cancun, and that was 25,000 points per night. Um, so 125,000 points for a five-night stay, all-inclusive. So food, drink, everything. And how it. was – I'm always so skeptical of those all-inclusives. Was it actually good? It was pretty good. It was my first all-inclusive. And, yeah, I'm not an all-inclusive person. But I went in with kind of an amused attitude, and it was it was fun. Now let's talk about the average partners. So, why, Sarah, why wouldn't you transfer Chase Points to Marriott in general? There are just so many different winners and losers in the new combined Marriott award chart that you have to look at your specific redemption, look at the specific hotel you want to stay at, and determine based on that case whether you want to transfer. So it just really is so much on a case-by-case basis. And it's really about doing the math, right? So why would you transfer if you have the Sapphire Reserve? 50,000 points for a $300 room when 50,000 points can get you $750 in travel booked through Chase Travel, right? Like that's the. Um, and then, you know, the worst one, so JetBlue, why does it pretty much never make sense to transfer? JetBlue has a fixed rate. Basically, the redemption rate that you're going to get is always tied to the cost of the ticket. So you're never going to get more than about 1.4 cents per point. And also, there are, there are deals all the time. So it's just never, like, you're never going to get outside. Unless you, like, need to top up your account to get to an award level or something. Right. Yeah, so it's pretty specific. Now, let's talk about booking travel through Chase Travel. So with airfare, um, let's pretend once again we have the Sapphire uh, Reserve card. 100,000 points will be 1,500 bucks in travel. So, And the flights that you book there do earn miles? They do earn miles. They do earn elite qualifying credit. So if you're working towards status on an airline, you'll be able to get credit for that flight. It's treated like a a paid ticket, essentially. Unlike, so people need to know that when you transfer points to United and then book an award ticket, you will not earn elite miles or any redeemable miles. You'll get nothing from that. So booking through Chase Travel, you will. Now, I know they recently made a change to Expedia, which some of our fans and other TPG members are not so happy about and that you cannot uh, redeem for Disney anymore? Disney, and that's a big thing for many of our readers, especially now that we have TVG family in the loop. Um, That's a hugely popular redemption option, so that's a major con. Um, One positive that I will say is that basic economy fares are labeled much more clearly, Um, and there's so many restrictions with those kind of fares. So, you know, small kudos, I guess, to Chase for for that. So what else? So now what what do people need to know about booking hotels via Chase Travel? So with hotels, unfortunately, the elite credit situation doesn't work. Um, You'll still, you know, the same. If you have the reserve, you'll get 1.5 cents per point, but you won't be getting that elite status recognition and elite credit for your stay when you're booking through Chase. Good to know. And can you use Chase points at those same levels uh, for booking cruises? You can, which is nice. So in the travel credit cards nerd world that we live in, there's this three-digit term that causes a lot of people a lot of stress, 524. What is that, Sarah? It's this rule very specific to Chase where if you've applied for five or more cards in the last 24 months, 
Chase will most likely deny you for a wide variety of its cards. And that includes all the Sapphire cards, all the ones that earn ultimate rewards points. So if you're in this hobby, you will be prioritizing your Chase applications above applications from Amex, from City, from any other issuer because you need to get those in first. I actually got to ask Kristen Lemka, you know, the CMO of Chase, and she did not seem like they were backing down on that. Now let's talk about if someone had a Sapphire preferred and they want to get a reserve. They could easily upgrade, but what advice do you have for them? So unfortunately, Chase does not make this easy. You can't have both cards at the same time, um, but now you have to wait a full 48 months. That's four years. It's so long. It used to be uh, only 24 months, um, but recently increased to 48. Um, This actually got me at the beginning when the Chase Sapphire Reserve just came out with a 100,000 point bonus. I had to wait a few months, actually a few months after that bonus ended before I could finally close my Sapphire Preferred, downgrade that to a Freedom Unlimited, and then apply for the reserve. Let's go into the Chase Sapphire Preferred. You know, it's $95. So really, when it comes to beginners, it's a no-brainer. There's no financial risk to getting it. Um, how does that card compare to the other $95 or less cards out there on the market? It's an interesting question because we're seeing so much competition in that category, especially now, even a few days ago, with the Capital One Venture Rewards card adding transfer partners coming in December. And that's also $95 a year. The annual fee is waived the first year. Um, that, and that card actually 10x gives, at hotels.com. Yeah, that's pretty pretty rich. And that card also offers global entry. So do right. you see the Venture card as kind of knocking the Sapphire Preferred out of that top spot? I, I wouldn't say that definitively because the Venture card kind of loses some points in the simplicity mm-hmm. category because with those transfer partners you they're not as they're not as immediately um easy to understand yeah. if you don't have any u.s carriers in there um it's ones that, are, that have some hidden gem sweet spot redemptions avianca that sort of aeroplan i like aeroplan. that yeah that's great for Lufthansa. so so the venture is probably a little bit more intermediate but yes. still you know crazy value tons of value to have there you just have to work a little bit harder now what is your take on sapphire banking is it worth it Um, Yeah, so Sapphire Banking is a new checking product, which is kind of like one step down from Chase Private Client. And um, what's really cool about it is it's offering a 60,000-point bonus. Um, If you can qualify and you need to bring in $75,000 in new assets and park them there for at least 90 days, if you can qualify, um, if this makes sense to you, I think it's a no-brainer because 60,000 points. That's yeah, and what are the financial products? So it's you know they have checking accounts and stuff, but also any uh, investment account, right? Oh, right, yeah, that that counts toward that seventy five thousand. So you can bring in if you have an account with Vanguard, transfer that over. Um, I think no retirement accounts is one of the the few restrictions there. There's one caveat you want to keep in mind, which is this sixty thousand point bonus is taxable. So you will be getting a form, and you'll have to you know take that into account. Um, I think one good thing in this is that Chase only values the points at one cent. A piece. So sixty, purpose. you know, so you know, say you're in what a thirty percent tax bracket on sixty on six hundred dollars. There are different ways you can value those points, um, but so not as easy as credit cards for sure. But if you're looking for one of these banking products with low fees, you know, you could save money on on having this Sapphire banking account. Um, so it could make sense for people out there who have the money and uh, know how to use the points. Yeah, absolutely. If you could talk directly to the head of Chase product and say, I want you to improve your product in 2019, uh, specifically to ultimate rewards, what would you like to see? 
would like to see more bonus categories. Groceries would be a good one. I think of the my Chase Sapphire Reserve as my go-to card for all travel and dining, which is huge because those are two huge spending categories for me. Um, but we've seen the competition heat up so much with the MX Gold for dining, um, with the MX Platinum for flights, with 5X on flights. So I would like Chase to push it one step further. Anyway, Sarah, thank you so much for having us and talking all things Chase. And I wish you the safest of travels on your TPG journeys. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. That's all for this episode of Talking Points. Thanks again to Kristen Lemkaw, who shows great leadership in her role as CMO of Chase, but also through her work with the Gun Safety Alliance. And thanks again to Sarah Silbert, who's a huge asset on our editorial team. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kelly. And this episode was produced by Caroline Chagrin and Jessica Robniak with editing by Ryan Gavis. Our music's by Breakmaster Cylinder. And a special thanks to Adam Kotkin and Mike Bruno. If you like this episode and want to hear more, make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded this podcast. But more importantly, tell your friends. The more people we have listening, the more episodes we'll make. And if you tag me on Instagram at Brian Kelly or use the hashtag talking points on social media, I might even give you a shout out. See you next week. And until then, safe travels. Mm -hmm.